0: pray before pastor rick comes to speak father thank you for the ability to know you and to follow you and have a relationship with you because of what jesus has done on the cross we ask god as we turn our hearts and faces toward you this morning that you would reveal yourself to us that you would help us to understand more what it is that you want from us that you would Help us to to feel and to sense your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hello, everybody. Have I told you lately that I love you? You who live here in this city live in the most strategic city in the world. And God did not put you here by accident but he put you here for a purpose. For right or wrong, if New York gets a cold, the rest of the world sneezes. Now, three years ago, not a few blocks from here, uh, a bunch of major banks uh, went belly up in Wall Street. And the world has been in a global recession ever since. Now, that's three years ago, this month. And so we've had some tough times, economically, politically, socially, culturally. Does God have anything to say to us in those kind of situations? And the answer is yes, definitely, a lot. And we're going to look at that uh, this morning. First off, I just want to say how happy I am to be here with you. Uh, You probably don't know this, but your pastor preached at our church last week. And nobody nobody knew this, but he did it by video, because when the 9-11 10th anniversary came up, uh, I said, "Look, we need to connect with our our sister daughter church, uh, Lower Manhattan Community Church, since you're just a couple blocks from Ground Zero. And uh, we did two things. First, we asked a number of the members here in this church to give their testimonies, which we played in front of everybody at Saddleback last week, of what it was like when when the towers fell, and uh, we called it a, a three handkerchief service because there was a lot of a lot of tears in that time. And then uh, I, the message that I, I taught last week at Saddleback in California, actually I had Ryan close it and, and he did a message and we had our video team come out here and taped Ryan preaching as he walked the streets of Battery Park, Tribeca, Greenwich and all, all of the areas uh, down in this area. And uh, I asked him if you saw it and, you got, he's, and they, the members I talked to last night said, no, they didn't see it. So that shows the humility of your pastor is that he wouldn't show you his own video. So how many of you really would like to see that video? Yeah, all right. Okay, so you're, you're, he has no choice now. He's got to show it. Now, uh, I, I feel right at home. Saddleback started in, in, a, in a little school with a theater uh, seating like this, actually a little bit smaller, uh, and I feel very comfortable. So I'm going to take my coat off, all right? If you'd like to take your coat off, and uh, if you're wondering why I'm wearing a T-shirt, uh, they, they lost my luggage. Uh, that's the truth. They really did. But, uh, I'm just glad to be here. And if you want to take your coat off, go right ahead. If you want to take your shoes off, please ask your neighbor. (laughs) Now, if you have a Bible, we're going to look at the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29. If you don't have a Bible inside your program, there's a little outline there, uh, with some notes that have all of the verses on it, just in case you didn't bring a Bible. And so we're happy for you to, to look at that. Now, let me give you a little background uh, on this guy, because this this is a very powerful passage on hope. If, if you've been feeling a little down, you've been feeling a little discouraged, a little underweather, you picked a good week to come to church, because we're going to talk about a hope and a future for you, for this church, and for this city, based on uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet. He was not a bullfrog. He was, he was a prophet, and... Uh, he lived in one of the great cities of that day, which was the city of Jerusalem. Now, the people in Jerusalem had not been following God at all for a long, long time. And Jeremiah kept telling him, you know what, guys? God is saying, I'm warning you, because we're not doing what God wants us to do. Uh, the nation's going to collapse. The economy's going to collapse. Uh, the city's going to collapse. Uh, there's going to be... Chaos there's going to be turmoil. There's going to be all kinds of problems and he was saying this literally for decades and People got pretty tired of Jeremiah because he was a pretty negative guy and for 28 chapters in this book He's just saying tough times are coming Tough times are coming tough times are coming. In fact, he is predicting that terrorists will invade his nation his city not only kill a bunch of people but take most of the people back to Iraq because the premier city of the world in that day was Babylon. Babylon was the New York of that age you know about you know 2,500 years ago and he said Babylon's going to come in and they're going to they're going to terrorize us kill a bunch of people in our great city and take the rest of us captives and and nobody really believed all this stuff was going to happen and he wasn't very popular but it did. And in in 597 B.C., that's exactly what happened. Uh, Babylon came in and basically wiped out the city of Jerusalem, took it apart, tore it down, uh, killed a bunch of people, and took everybody else, slaves, back to Iraq. Now, in chapter 29, where we're going to start, the moment this happens, Jeremiah changes his tune. He's no longer Mr. Bad News, Mr. Doom and Gloom. He now starts talking about hope. And the next few chapters in this book are some of the most hopeful passages in the entire Bible. I I would encourage you to go home and read 29, 30, 31, 32 of Jeremiah. There's a lot of incredibly encouraging material because once the bad thing happened, he now turns his tune and says, yeah, it's bad, but God hasn't forgotten you. And in this passage, what we find is... um, In the next few uh, chapters, he gives a bunch of promises. He says, God has promised to prosper you. He says, God has promised to bring about a national recovery. He says, God has promised to set you free. He says, God has promised to rebuild this city. He says, God has promised to turn your mourning and your sadness into dancing and laughter and gladness. He said, God has promised to refresh and restore everybody who's tired. And he says, God has promised to forgive our sins, and to restore our nation. I like all that stuff. Okay, I like all that stuff. Now, but, he says, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a time. It takes some time. It's going it's to be a while. And so then the question becomes, what are we supposed to do while we're waiting on God to fulfill his promises? A lot of your life, you're going to live in transition times. When you're kind of, you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you're going to be. And you're kind of in a transition time. You may be in that right now. Uh, you may be here in the city in a time of transition. You go, I don't even know how long I'm going to be here. Well, okay. Then, you, again, you picked a good time to come to church. Because this chapter is about the five things to do when you're in transition. When something as bad has happened in your life, and you're waiting for the good to happen in your life, what are you supposed to do in the, mi- in the middle time? The hardest times in life are what I call God's waiting room. We don't like to wait. I mean, you know, if a, if a turnstile goes around and you miss it, you, you have a heart attack because, you know, well, I wanted to get in there a little bit sooner. And waiting in a doctor's our audi- uh, you know, uh, you know, office or waiting, the Department of Motor Vehicles, any kind of waiting, it's not a lot of fun but God intentionally actually puts you in waiting times when you're in transition between what was bad maybe in your life and what's going to be good in your life uh, in the future. So what are we supposed to do? Jeremiah chapter 29 is the first of Jeremiah's messages of encouragement to people who had just seen their city attacked by terrorists. That's what it's about. And in this chapter, he says, you know what? Even bad times can be blessed times if you'll do what God asks you to do. Let me say that again. Even bad times can become blessed times in your life. It's not all where you want it to be. But even in the tough times, God can say, you know, in the middle of a recession, I have a church right now, 11% of my people are out of work. And they've been out of work about two years. And so that's tough okay? Uh, The economic forecast came out, said the the poverty rate right now in America is the highest it's ever been in our lifetime, okay? And we don't really have any indication that the economy is going to turn around tomorrow or even next year. I mean, in the 30s, it took 10 years for that economy to turn around. So we don't really know. What are we supposed to do? How do we live blessed lives while we're in the waiting period? Well, we're waiting for the things to turn around okay well let's if you have a bible or if you don't have a bible pull out your notes let me read you this passage in verse one uh it says this is the text of the letter that the prophet jeremiah sent from jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles so he's writing to all the people who've been taken off captivity in in babylon And, and down in verse four he says this this is what the lord almighty says to those i carried into exile from jerusalem to babylon Here's his advice. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find your wives for yourself, your, your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Don't decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, in other words, the city you're living in prospers, you too will prosper. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, in other words, it's gonna be a while, you guys. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. And this is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon the Lord, call upon me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you and you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I want to do two things in our short time together. I want us to talk about what am I supposed to do when I'm going through tough times, particularly a time of transition where you're not where you really want to be. And then, how can I have hope for my future when everything's falling apart? That's what we're going to look at, okay? Now, the first thing this passage teaches us are five things you need to do when you're going through tough times. Now, this is a very appropriate passage for you living in New York City because he is writing to urban dwellers. He's writing to people who lived in the most strategic city of that day. They're in Babylon. Now, the difference between them and you is they didn't choose to be there. Okay? You, you chose to be here. But they didn't choose to be there. In fact, it's an enemy nation, and it's a foreign city to them. But it's an urban setting. And God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you out. I'm going to do all kinds of things in your life. I have other plans for you. I'm going to give you your nation back. But it's going to be a while. And during this while, during this transition, I want you to do five things in the city that you're in. These are the five things God wants you to do in New York City right now in the middle of all of the recession. Number one, first thing, if you want to take a make the most of today. That's the first thing Jeremiah says. Make the most of today. In verse five, he says, build houses and settle down. If you're taking notes, circle that phrase, settle down. It says, Build houses and settle down. That means stop treating whatever you're going through right now as a transition. Did you hear that? Stop treating what you're going through right now as a transition. He says, yeah, you're in transition, but I want you to settle down. You're in a major urban area. I want you to build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. What's he saying here? He's saying, don't put your life on hold. Stop waiting for the ship to come in. Stop waiting for the economy to turn around. Stop waiting to get to go back home to Jerusalem. Stop waiting for all of these different things. He said, don't become passive. Don't keep waiting for a better day to arrive. He says, I want you to make the most of the day. Settle down. He says, whatever you're going to do with your life, start doing it now. I meet people all the time. I've traveled all around the world. I've, I've trained leaders in 164 countries. And so I've been in big cities and little tiny villages and, and everywhere I go I meet people who are always getting ready to start living. And I say, well I'm aiming to do this. I'm aiming to do this. I'm going, when are you going to stop aiming and pull the trigger? Okay? Someday aisle is someplace you're never going to get to. One day aisle. One of these days is none of these days. So whatever you're going to do with your life, you better get on with it right now. I guarantee you that 10 years ago, today, a week ago, the people who were in the towers had no idea that that was going to be their last day. They got up that morning thinking, someday I'm going to do this. One day I'm going to do this. We don't ever know when our heart is going to stop beating. I'm not guaranteed my next breath, much less next week, next year, or in 10 years. So whatever you're going to do, get on with it. If you need to ask forgiveness for somebody you've been out of whack with, you've been out of a relationship with, and or you need to reconcile with somebody, do it now. If you need to get your life aligned with God, do it now. If you need to go after your dream, do it now. Don't go after your dream tomorrow, next week, next year, when the economy turns around, do it now. Okay, culture test. How many you remember Forrest Gump? Okay, (laughs) I've got to tell you, before I was here for for church service today, I was over at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel in a high level meeting with global leaders on the the global economy. And they'd been brought in from around the world and we were there and I told them this story. I said, you know, in Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump had a fishing boat. Remember Bubba Gump Shrimp? Okay, remember Bubba Gump Shrimp with uh, what was it? Captain Dan captain dan okay and 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 they're out fishing and all of a sudden there's a storm coming up a hurricane a tsunami coming up on southeast uh uh, louisiana all of the other boats say storm's coming in here's what we're going to do we're going to batten down the hatches we're going to pull into the harbor we're going to tie up in the harbor we're going to play it safe nothing ventured nothing gained we're going to wait out the storm We're not going to do anything. We're going to play conservative, and we'll just tie up in the harbor, and that's all we'll do. The only fishing boat that was actually out fishing during the storm was Forrest Gump. It was doing what fishing boats are made to do, fish. Fishing boats aren't made to be tied up in a harbor. They're made to be out fishing. So he's out in the middle of the storm doing all along what he should be doing. And the storm comes along, and everybody, all the ships that tied up in the harbor, every one of them destroyed. They were dashed against the rocks. They were destroyed. The only fishing boat that lasted through that storm was Gump's. Okay. And, and then after the storm was over, guess what? He dominated the market because he was the only one with a boat. I'm telling you, get your life out of hold pattern right now. Bad times are good times to move ahead. Bad times are good times to make the decision to whatever you need to do. You make the most of the day. He says, settle down, plant gardens, build a house. You're going to be here for a while. You may not think you are, but you're here. Stop living with a temporary mindset. That's the number one problem of urban living. The number one problem of urban living is temporary mindset. We're not thinking long term. We're thinking short term. So that's the first thing you got to do. Number two. Not only do you need to make the most of today. The second thing he says is you need to make the most of relationships. When times are bad, when you're not where you want to be, when you're in transition, when things aren't going right, he says you need to focus on relationships. Focus on relationships when times are bad. Now, in verse six, he gets real specific and he says this. uh, Mary. That, that's a relationship, by the way. Uh, and has sons and daughters. And find wives for your sons and daughters and your daughters in marriage and 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 that they may have sons and daughters and increase in number. Now, a couple things. This is important. He's writing to people living in an urban center. Babylon is a giant. It's the New York of that day. Cities are usually filled with people who are uh, younger, uh, career-oriented, and single. There's a predominance of that, okay? And he's saying, okay, let me tell you guys, settle down. Look for some relationships. You see, one of the things is in uncertain times, we are often afraid to make commitments. Don't be afraid to get married. That's a huge, like the number one commitment. And by the way, a little marriage tip from me since I used to do marriage counseling all the time. Before you get married, opposites attract. And after you get married, opposites attack. Okay, all those things you thought were so cool and cute about that person start bugging you. And after about six months, you know, before you you know you marry somebody, you go, Wow, that's so, how does she think that way? That's so unique. That's that's so cute. That's so different. I how does he think that way? And about six months after you're married, you're going, Could you be a little bit more like me? <laughs> it's not so fun anymore. Uh, that was just a free part. I threw that in. But but a lot of times during uncertain times, we, we say things like, I don't want to commit to anything. I want to keep my options open. Stupid. Okay. That's like the person who's going down a buffet buffet and says, well, I'm not going to get any of this because I don't want to get any of this because I'm going to keep my options open. And I'm not going to get it. And you get to the end of the line and there's nothing on your plate. Okay. So what you gotta do is you gotta make some commitments. And he he says, you know what, and by the way, this is a good word for people in in the city. don't be afraid to get married. And and don't be afraid to have kids. I've actually heard people say in LA where I live, uh, you know, Rick, I don't wanna bring kids into this uncertain time. Friend, there's never been a certain time (laughs) in all of the thousands and thousands of years of history. Every child who has been born, including you, were brought into uncertain times. Having kids is a sign of hope. The thrill, the thrill that I was thrilled about last week here at Lower uh, Manhattan Community Church is we had over 80 children in our children's ministry last week here. That, you know what that is? That says hope for New York City. Really, that says hope for New York City. That children are hope. Now, let me say this. Whether you ever get married or not is really between you and the Lord. Uh, that's, I'm not telling uh, everybody's got to marry. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying this. Whether you ever marry or not, you need children in your life. Okay? Whether you're a big brother, big sister, you teach Sunday school, you help out as a volunteer, you need children in your life. What I have learned is that if you don't ever have any children in your life, you get very self-centered. Children are God's tool for teaching unselfishness. No mother wants to get up in the middle of the night and, and, you know, and change a diaper or fix a, you know, fix a bottle. or So children teach us to be unselfish. They force us. And you know what? See, I don't have any kids at home now. My kids are grown up. But I still need kids in my life. I, I, I need to have some kind of relationship on an ongoing basis. They simply keep you alive. They keep you younger, and they teach you unselfishness. Make the most of relationships. Uh, Now, the third thing he says is not only make the most of today and make the most of relationships. In the next verse, he says, make the most of my city. This is interesting. Make the most of my city. What he's actually saying here is if you're going to live in Babylon, you better make Babylon a better place. And he says, don't just be a resident, be a catalyst. Don't just get the benefits of the city. You be a change agent in the city. Don't be a thermometer that you just reflect the temperature of culture. Be a thermostat that you're setting culture. You're affecting culture. You're you're salt and light. He's saying If I've taken you to Babylon, which was the premier city, if I let me translate it. If I've taken you to New York City, if I've called you here, I didn't bring you here simply to be an inhabitant. I brought you here to be an influence. The reason you're here right now, if you know the Lord, you're not here simply to be an inhabitant of this city. You are here to be an influence of this city. And this is what he says in verse 7. Also... Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Pray to the Lord for it. Pray for your city. Because if it prospers, you will prosper too. Now, this is an amazing thing. Let me ask you this. Let's say this had been you. Let's say modern day Iraq had come in and taken over New York City and taken us all back to Babylon as slaves would you be able to seek the peace and prosperity of that city he's no you'd be going these guys are my enemies they're not my culture they're not my type they're not my people they're not whatever and on and on but he's saying i don't care if i put you there you are to pray for the people around you you are to pray for the prosperity of your city wherever you are okay and he says, pray for the peace, the prosperity. He says, if it prospers, uh, uh, you will too. You see, as Christians, we're not just called to the good news. We're called to the common good. We're called to both. I believe in the good news. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And in everybody's life, everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. But I also believe in the common good. And that is, what's best for everybody in this city? What's best for everybody on my block? What's best for everybody in my community, in my borough? What's best? I'm to seek not just the good news. I'm to seek the common good. That's commanded by God. This is not an optional. It's not just a good idea. If you're a, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you must seek the prosperity and peace of New York City. Did you know that God commands you to pray for your city every day? In fact, he says here the four things you pray for. You might write these down, okay? Uh, oh, by the way, uh, here's here's the verse. R- write down this verse. Psalm 122, verse 6 and 7. Psalm 122, verse 6 and 7 is the urban prayer. It's the four things that David tells us we are to pray for the cities we live in. And here's what he says. First, he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So the first thing, you pray for peace in the city. Pray for the peace in the city. That means not conflict between ethnic groups, economic groups, gender groups, lifestyle groups. Pray for peace in the city. And then he says, "May all pray that may all who love this city prosper. So you pray for the people. First, pray for the peace. You pray for the people. And what am I praying for the people? That, that everybody in this city prospers. That's what Psalm says, Psalm 122. Then the third thing he says, may there be peace within your walls. What he's talking about there is pray for protection. We're to pray for the peace of our city. We're to pray for the people of our city. We're to pray for the protection of our city, that the walls will protect us, that there will be safety, there will be, the people will be safe, security, that we don't have another 9-11. We are to pray that. And the fourth thing he says in that Psalm 22 is, may there be prosperity in your palaces. What are talking about? He's talking about economics. He's saying you need to pray for economic growth in your city. Now, if David said everybody's to pray for that for Jerusalem, that means you're supposed to pray it for New York, and I'm supposed to pray it for L.A. Does that make sense? I'm to pray for the people in my city, the the peace in my city, the protection in my city, and the prosperity in my city. And then why am I supposed to pray it? Write this verse down. Psalm 122, verse 8 and 9. Psalm 122, verse 8 and 9 tells us the two reasons you're to pray for the peace, people, prosperity, and protection. It says this, for the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be with this city. And for the sake of the house of the Lord, I will seek what is best for Jerusalem. Did you hear that? He said, I want the city to be blessed so my family and my church can be blessed. That's legitimate. That's legitimate, you know. You know that phrase: a rising tide raises all the boats. If if the city is blessed, then everybody in it gets blessed. And, and so that's what we're to pray. We are to make the most of the day. We're to make most of our relationships. Third thing he says is: while you're in that transition, while you're in the tough times, make make the most of the city you're living in. Be it, make it a better place. Number four, verse ten and eleven says. If you're going to make it through the tough times, you must become a promise person. Become a promise person. What does that mean? It means know the promises of God and then claim them. Ryan mentioned, uh, he said what he thought was one of the reasons God had, had worked in my life. And he was right. I simply believe the promises of God. If God said it, I believe it. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I want to make another sticker that simply says, God said it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. (laughs) Because truth is not based upon whether I believe it or not. I could say I don't believe in the law of gravity. That's not going to make gravity not work. Okay? And there are physical laws in the universe and there are spiritual laws in the universe that whether you believe them or not, they work. And so God said it, that settle it, whether I believe it or not. Now, when I believe it, I cooperate with it, it adds blessing in my life. Now, there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. 7,000. And that they're like blank checks waiting to be written. There's promises about business success. There are promises about personal uh, uh, development. There are promises about marriage and family. There are promises about uh uh dreams there are promises about goals there are promises about uh health there are uh, every every area of life there's no area god has made promise after promise after promise why would god make seven thousand promises to us because he wants us to learn to trust him that's what it's all about learning to love and trust god you see the bible says without faith it's impossible to please god the bible says whatever is not a faith is sin the Bible says according to your faith it will be done unto you now That's an amazing verse. God says you get to choose how much I do in your life You get to choose how much I bless your life according to your faith. It will be done to you Okay much faith much happens in your life Medium faith medium amount happens in your life little faith little happens in your life. No faith No blessing in your life According to your faith. It will be done unto you God says you get to choose now, I don't know about you. I'm a pretty big thinker. I can think up some pretty big things. And yet in Ephesians 4, God says, no matter what you think, I can top that. I am able to do far bigger than you would ever think, ask, or imagine. So he says here, not only do you make the most of today in relationships in the city, he says, I want you to become a promised person. And then he gives us one of the great promises of Scripture, verses 10 and 11. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. A lot of times when things go wrong, people think God's trying to get even with me. They say, oh, I had a, you know, I'm late, I had a flat tire or whatever, you know, God's trying to get even with me. No, if God were trying to give it even with you, you would not be alive. Okay, so it's not a flat tire. Okay, believe me, you would not be alive. We are all trophies of grace. Okay, and and, and let me just say this as clear as I can say: God is not mad at you; He's mad about you. He's not mad at you; He's mad about you. And Jesus Christ took the punishment. For all my sin and yours, now that means not only all the sins you did yesterday, but the ones you haven't done yet. So the ones next week, if God punished you for sins you do next week, well then Jesus Christ's death on the cross was worthless, because Jesus already paid for it. That would be called double jeopardy. So God is not going to punish you because God, Jesus already took the punishment on the cross. People who don't understand the cross think God's always out to get them. but the cross. Jesus took that, took that all. We become a promised person. He said, I want to give you hope. I want to give you future. The fifth thing you need to do in the time of transition is you need to talk to God continually. You need open communications. Uh, and the more you talk to God during uh, a tough time, the more strength, the more power, the more energy you're going to have. And in verse 12, he says this. Then you will call upon me. Now, remember, they're in Babylon. They're in the New York City of that day. You will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. You know, I talked to a lot of people who, who who don't believe in Jesus, don't even believe in God. And it, it, does, it doesn't bother me. I mean, when somebody I'll be sitting on an airplane, and somebody say, well, I'm an atheist. And I'm like, Yeah. You, okay they say you know you know so what do you do well i'm a pastor what am i i'm an atheist i don't know if they think i'm going to faint or something <laughs> you know but so what okay uh and and my question i always say to them you know my 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 question to you is not that you don't believe in god that's not my question is why okay why do you not believe in god because the reasons are much more important than, than the fact and, and um, sometimes I've actually asked guys, I say, you know, if there was a God, would you have to change your life, your lifestyle? Oh, yeah. What would you have to change? They start telling me, well, I'd have to change this, this, and this. I said, well, then the real issue here is not that you don't, you, you can't believe in God. It's, you just don't want to. It's more convenient to not believe in God because you simply don't want a boss you don't want somebody in your life to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Well, okay, I'm going to understand it, but let's at least be intellectually honest. Okay, I don't want a God. Okay, that's more honest than to say, I don't believe in one. Well, why do you, Well, I don't know why I don't believe, I just don't. So, anyway, the point here is you talk to God continually, and he says, if you seek me, you will find me. That's why when I talk to guys like this, say, look, here's what I do. Say, God, if there is a God, and I don't really know if there is, But if there is a God, I want to know you. As much as I know how I opened my life. I know that prayer will work because it's the one that changed me. Years ago, I was actually a lifeguard uh, in Northern California. And I was working at one of these summer camps like Bill Murray, you know, movies would all be about. Okay. And, and, um. And I was, I, I, was, I was a lifeguard. They actually fired me because uh, people would be drowning. They'd go, so, yes, I see that hand. God bless you. Is there another? God bless you. Yes, thousands of you are raising your hands right now. No, I made that part up. Um, but uh, I remember what convinced me to become a Christian was not the Bible. But I could see that Christians had something in their life I didn't have. I'm going, I don't get it. They're handling problems a whole lot better than me. Okay, they got the same problems I do, but they're just handling them better. They have some kind of strength. They have some kind of peace. They, they do have a sense of joy that I don't have. And I remember one night I went down and I, I got on my knees in the cabin I was living in as a staffer there. And I got on my knees and I prayed a simple prayer and I said, God, if there is a God, uh, I want to know you. I, I'm going to seek you like this verse talks about. If you seek me, you will find me. I didn't know this verse, obviously, but I just said, if you're really real, Jesus Christ, make yourself real to me. If you can change my life, if you can give me a better life than I'm living right now, I want it. So, okay. And that was that prayer. You know what happened when I prayed that prayer? Nothing. (laughs) I didn't feel any different. I didn't get a chill. I didn't get a quiver in my liver. You know, my hair didn't turn white like Charlton Heston. No, no, no thunderbolts. No angels came down and flapped their wings. I mean, I I, I had no emotional response. It was just a matter of fact decision. I opened my life to Jesus Christ. And, um, but that was the turning point of my life. And actually, the more I understood it as life went on, the more I got the feelings kind of came in line. And I go, oh, this is cool. And then, this is really cool. Wow, this is really cool. But I didn't understand all the implications of it, so I, there was no really emotional response. It's it simply a matter of fact, logical, rational decision. If there is a creator, I better know him. And, and, and I made that decision. It's kind of like delayed reaction when I got married. One day I stood up in front of a bunch of people and I said two words that changed my life. I do. And when I said those words, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. (laughs) And the rest of my life, I've been working out the implications of those two words. I do. And my wife will frequently say, now you promised, I do. I said, oh, that's in the I do? That's the fine print? Yeah, okay, well then, all right, put that in there too. When I got married, I remember waking up the first day on our honeymoon, and I rolled over in bed, and I saw my wife there, and I looked at her, and I go, you know, I don't feel married. She said, well, it doesn't matter, Buster, you're married. <laughs> Whether you feel or not, you're married. And, and I remember about three weeks later, I woke up one morning and I rolled over and I saw my wife Kay laying in there and I thought, I get this woman the rest of my life. I get, I, I get her as my best friend, my lover, my companion, my partner for the rest of my life. And, and, and I, I, all of a sudden it just hit me and I was overwhelmed with joy And I I stood up and I started jumping around the room. I go, I'm married, I'm married, I'm married. She goes, well, it's about time you figured that out. (laughs) And sometimes that's what happens when you become a Christian. It's not always a real emotional experience right at the start when you seek the Lord. You just go, hey, I'm in. I'm in. I I don't understand it all, but I'm in. I'm saying yes to God. And then as you understand the benefits of it, it gets better and better. Now, what are the benefits? Let's take a little switch here. The most loved and famous passage in Scripture is Psalm 23. Everybody has heard of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. That's, that's the most famous passage in the Bible. And in that passage, David uh, tells us why he can always have hope, even in the times of transition, even in the tough times. And in the last verse of Psalm 23, uh, David gives us three reasons we can face the future with hope. Now, I don't know what you're going through right now. You may be having some economic tough times. You may be having some emotional tough times. You may be having some relational tough times. You may be having some vocational. You're out of work. You may be having some uh, mental tough times or Whatever. I mean, there's all different areas. Regardless, David ends the psalm saying this. Psalm 23, verse 6. In fact, let's read this verse aloud together. It's a very famous verse. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, very quickly, if you can write quick, I can talk quick. Let me. Out of that verse, it tells us the three reasons we can face the future with hope. Jeremiah tells us the five things to do. David tells us the three things to remember. Jeremiah tells us how to act. David tells us how to feel. And he says, I can have a great hope for my future for three reasons. Number one, because God is watching over me. That's the first reason. And no matter what I go through, God's going to be watching over me. Psalm 145 verse 20 says, the Lord watches over all who love him. Do you know what the greatest gift you can give somebody? Attention. Attention. When my kids were little, I'd be reading the paper and my daughter Amy would come up and she'd say, Daddy? i said, say, yeah? Daddy? Yeah? Daddy? Yeah? And finally, she'd push the paper down. She'd grab my hands, and go, Daddy, look at me. Why? Because the greatest gift you can give somebody is your attention. If you study the ministry of Jesus, everywhere he went, he gave a look, a word, and a touch. A look, a word, and a touch. A look, a word, and a touch. He would look them in the eye, because when you look somebody in the eye, you're saying, you matter to me. You're valuable. You see, the greatest thing I can give you is my time. It's not money. Because I can always get more money. But I only have a certain amount of time in my life. And when I give you my time, I'm giving you a part of my life I will never get back. And so that's it. So m- t- m- money is not nearly as valuable as time. Time is far more valuable than money. And, and, and that's why wasting time is committing suicide, because your time is your life. And if you want to be effective as a Christian, you've got to learn how to get control of your time. But the greatest gift you can give somebody is attention, is time. I talk to guys all the time. See, I have a church full of CEOs and I have guys who go, I don't understand my wife and kids. I give them everything they want. I buy them everything they need. And they go, hang on. You know what they want? They want you. They want you. They want your attention, not your gifts. Kids need parents, not things. And so they, so when you give people your attention, that's the greatest act of love. And you know what the Bible says? God is always paying attention to you. There is no moment when God is not watching you. God does not have a blind side. God will never say, oh, I didn't see that one coming. God is always watching you. The Bible says he has the hair on your head numbered. Now, for some of you, I can see that's pretty easy. Okay, but, and, but he actually sees how many fall out in the sink every day, too. Okay, Uh, but he knows, God knows more the details of your life than you do. He knows you better than you because he made you. And because God is watching over me, I can have a hope. Now, here's what David says. Surely, goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Now, because God is good, he's watching over me. Because God is good, he will not let anything happen to me unless it is for my own good for the good of others or for the good of his kingdom i didn't say it was all good i said not everything that happens in your life is good but he says he won't let anything happen in your life unless he can use it for the good in your life in the life of others or in the life of the kingdom of god now notice it says surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. Now, circle the phrase, goodness will follow. That doesn't mean all, only good things will happen. What it does mean is that God will ensure that good will come out of whatever happens. Now, let me, now, this is why God is so cool. Anybody can bring good out of good, only God can bring good out of bad. God can take my stupidest mistake, my biggest sin, My worst faux pas, my most spectacular failure. He can take everything that I regret and want to hide in the closet. And he goes, you know what, I can still bring good out of that. Only God can do that. Anybody can bring good out of good. Only God can bring good out of bad. Now, when I have a God who can bring good out of bad, I have a reason to hope. It means even if my life falls apart or towers tumble somehow god is going to figure out a way to bring good out of that it's not good in fact most of the stuff that happens in life is not good it's not good because we live in a fallen broken world and nothing works no relationship every relationship's broken every body is broken have you noticed your body doesn't work perfectly the the weather is broken the economy is broken literally Everything is broken because we live in a broken world, sin. So we shouldn't expect it to be good. But God brings good even out of bad. He can bring good even out of the tough times. Look at this verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now notice, it doesn't say all things are good. It says all things what? Work. Work for the good. And it's like this. Anybody ever watch this show Chopped on TV? Anybody watch the Food Network? Did any of you eat? One of the ways I like to relax is is I like to just mess around and make stuff. Now, if I'm going to bake a cake, it says all things work together for good. Individually, these things aren't good, but together they work together. Now, if I bake a cake, if I take... Uh uh, uh 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 a spoonful of crisco or, or lard and i eat that that's not going to taste good okay if i take a spoonful of of uh, of uh flour and i eat that that's not going to taste good if i take a spoonful of uh salt that's not going to taste good if, if i take uh a little yeast that's not gonna taste- i could even take a spoonful of sugar that's too sweet for me uh, i could take a raw egg and eat the. In fact, some of the things in your life actually taste bitter. There are things in your life that are actually bitter. But if I stir them all together, they work together for good and the cake comes out. That's good. I'm a purpose-driven eater. <laughs> and, and a lot of things in your life, that's bitter, that's bitter, that's bitter, that's bitter, that's bitter. But if you will give it to God, he will take the pieces and bring peace out of it. That's what he says. Now, this is not a promise for everybody. All things work for the good of those who love him. All things are not working for the good of people who hate God, who are walking away from God, who are denying God, who are disobeying God, who are disconnected from They only work if I go, God, I give you all the pieces. He can't work it for good unless I give him the pieces of my life. Now, it's very difficult uh, to see God's goodness during the tough time you're in. It's usually only, only looking back. <laughs> the last 24 hours have been difficult for me. In the first place, um, they lost my luggage. Okay, uh, so how do you lose luggage on a nonstop flight from L.A.? I don't know. <laughs> you just drop it out over Kansas or what, you know? Okay, so I lost my luggage. Okay, so we get to the hotel, and the hotel says, sorry, it won't be ready until 8. When we get back at 10, it's still not ready until 11 get the stuff uh then coming going home in the taxi i left my wallet in the taxi so no clothes no wallet and no room to stay in this sounds like a movie okay it sounds like a movie now i'm not sweating that why because i know all things work together for good none of that is good that's not good that's not good that's not good but god will work it he gave me a good sermon illustration there you go right there okay sometimes it's much more serious My daughter, Jamie, two years ago, daughter-in-law, Jamie, was pregnant with her first baby. And when that baby uh, 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 came early, everything went wrong with that birth. Literally, everything went wrong. First, the baby came, I think, seven weeks, maybe eight weeks early. That was tough. Uh, The baby was breached, so they were going to have to do C-section. The cord was wrapped around the child's neck, and it suffocated to death, and they had to resuscitate it after they brought the baby out of the womb. Everything went wrong on that pregnancy. And we thought, now, why would God allow those kind of difficulties? Well, why not? First, it's a broken world. Uh, uh, but uh, what we didn't know is at that, that moment, Jamie had a grapefruit-sized vascular tumor growing on her brain. And we didn't know at a time, eight weeks later, when the baby should have been born... She went into the hospital for 26-hour brain surgery, and as they were tearing it apart, taking it piece by piece, they said if she had pushed, it would have killed her. So her life was saved by the baby being traumatized. Does that make sense? So what we thought was a problem. Now, Cole, the little baby, he's just fine. He's two years old. In fact, Jamie had another baby a week ago. So everything's fine. Everything's fine. But what looked like a problem in the situation actually saved her life. If she had pushed in a normal delivery, that tumor connected to the vascular, you know, the, the veins up there would have, would have exploded and she would have died. You don't know that the problem you're in right now is not saving your life or your career or your reputation or your health or whatever so don't let me just tell you here's the antidote to stress repeat this three times a day god is god and i'm not (laughs) just say that over and over god is god and i'm not okay so i'm happy i'm i'm healthy i I can have great hope because god's watching over me two other things second because grace is working in me god is watching over me grace is Is working in me and this is the second thing David said now now Isaiah says I'll have mercy on you through my grace what's grace grace is when God gives you what you need not what you deserve mercy is grace in action now why do we need mercy because we're always screwing up we're always making mistakes we're always blowing it we're always messing up and so we need mercy because we're always making mistakes now it says Surely goodness and mercy, that's the other thing, will follow me all the days of my life. Aren't you glad it doesn't say, surely God's truth and justice will follow me? Because if I got what I deserved, again, it, I, I probably wouldn't be around. I'm glad I don't get, I'm glad I don't get what I deserve. I, you probably ought to be glad you don't get what you deserve. Grace has given you what you need, not what you deserve. Now, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Circle the word, follow me. I like this because mercy is kind of like a parent picking up after a little child. It just kind of walks around picking up all the messes. I make the mess, mercy picks it up. I make the mess, mercy picks it up. I make the mess, mercy picks it up. It's always picking up the mess. And notice it says, goodness and mercy will follow me most of the days of my life. Now, it doesn't say it. It says what? all of the days of my life circle that word all that means God doesn't turn it on and off God doesn't God isn't moody God doesn't have bad hair days I had I had a guy tell me one time he said growing up I didn't know my dad was gonna hug me or slug me you know e- each day I, I I really didn't know whether he was gonna hug me or whether he was gonna slug me God is not moody. God is not fickle. God is always consistent. He will always be following you with goodness and mercy all the days of my life. Does that give you hope? You don't know what's going to happen next month, but you do know this. God is watching over me and grace is working in me. And goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life, no matter what's happening. I know that's happening. All the days of my life. Now you may not feel God is near, and sometimes it's hard to feel His grace and mercy. But He says, "Will fo- surely follow me all the day of my life." Surely, I mean, how do I be sure? How can I be sure of that? Because God doesn't lie. People often ask me, "Is there anything God can't do?" Yes, there are some things God can't do. What can God cannot deny His character. God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. Because God is truth. And the only reason we have truth in the universe is because the creator is a creator of truth. So God, God's goodness provides and God's grace, God's mercy pardons. God's goodness supplies and God's mercy soothes. God's goodness helps me and God's mercy heals me. Goodness gives me the things I don't deserve and mercy keeps me from getting the things I do deserve. That's why I like both of those. Okay. I I get stuff I don't deserve, that's goodness. And I don't get stuff I do deserve, that's mercy. That gives me hope. That means, I mean, mean, so what if the economy goes bad for another three years? I'm going to have grace and mercy, goodness and mercy following me all the days of my life. You know, in a shepherd, when a shepherd leads sheep, you you, you drive cattle, but you lead sheep. And the shepherd stands in the front, but a shepherd always has two little sheep dogs at the back kind of nipping at the tails to keep the sheep going. And you just need to think of your shepherd as Jesus leading you into the future and the little sheepdogs of grace, I mean, goodness and mercy nipping at your heels. They're following you no matter what you're going through. Okay, one more thing. Let's skip this verse. Psalm 103 just gives us a list of ways God's goodness and mercy show up. Number three, I can have great hope because God is watching over me, grace is working in me, and heaven is waiting for me. That's the third thing. Heaven is waiting for me. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, circle the word and. That connects today and tomorrow. It means that no matter what happens with the economy, your future is secure. One thing you can't count on is, I'm going to heaven. If you put your faith in Christ, you try, he says, they're in my hand and no man can pluck them out. You know, I took my kids one time to see the Grand Canyon. And as we were standing on the side, my, uh, my middle boy, Josh, he wanted to let go so bad because he wanted to go jump going down all that. Now, he wanted to let go of me, but as the loving father, there was no way I was going to let go of his hand. There are going to be times in your life when you want to let go of God. Uh, God, right now, I'm going to a party. This is not very convenient for me to have a relationship with you. Okay. Uh, God, right now... Uh, It's not really cool for me to be a Christian. It's not really cool for me to be in contact with you. God, I really would like to do what I want to do. You've said for me to forgive that person hurt me, and I don't want to forgive them. So if you don't mind, I'm going to let go right now. And God, the loving Father says, you may want to let go of my hand, but once you put it in mine, I'm never letting go. You will never lose your salvation if it's been given to you. It is a gift that cannot be taken away. They are in my hand and no man can pluck them out. And heaven is waiting for me. Now, I could go through all these verses, but we ran out of time. So let me just say this. What's heaven going to be like? Really, what's heaven going to be like? I want to tell you the reason why most people are bored with heaven is because they have no idea what it's going to be like. The idea, typical idea of heaven is sitting in a, on clouds. In a totally white environment, wearing a sheet with wings and playing a harp. Friends, to me, that would be hell. I can't think of any more boring way to spend eternity. In the first place, you're not going to have wings in heaven because you're not going to be an angel. Angels are angels. People are people. You're going to be you in heaven. You're not going to be an angel in heaven. Okay, second place, it's not going to be white. God is a multicolored God. He created the full spectrum. Now, you think how beautiful this world is and it's broken? Just think what a perfect place is going to be like. You think of all the cool things that are here on earth that are fun and good. I mean, God created taste buds and then made Cinnabon rolls. (laughs) What a God what a God. Okay. I mean, God, this is the guy who invented sex. This is the guy who invented sunsets. This is the God who invented all of the great pleasures in a broken world. You cannot imagine how cool heaven's going to be. Now in heaven, I'm going to give you four words and we'll close. Four things are going to be in heaven. We're going to be reunited With all the loved ones who are believers. That's a good thing. We're going to be rewarded for our faith. We're going to be reassigned to do work that you love to do. You're not going to lay around in a cloud and do nothing. You're going to have work, but the thing is, there won't be problems to it. It'll be fun. You're going to enjoy it. It'll be, you're going to, oh, this is cool. I like doing this. You are most like your creator when you're creative. And you will create things in heaven. So re- reunited, rewarded, reassigned, and then released from all pain, suffering, depression, sorrow. He will wipe away all tears from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All that's are gone. Now, the last verse on your outline, First Peter says, You're only visitors here. Your real home is in heaven. So what am I saying? This is the warm up act. This is the get ready stage. At the most, you're going to spend 80, maybe at the most 100 years here on earth. That isn't a whole lot of time compared to the trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of years you're going to spend in heaven. You get 100 years here, trillions of years in eternity. This life is preparation for the next what does god want you to do those five things that jeremiah said okay those five things jeremiah said he says settle down make some commitments whatever you're going to do do it now make the most of your life pray for the prosperity of your city pray for the common good do all of these things become a promised person and never stop seeking me if you do that he goes you made your life count You made the most of what you were given. Now let's bow our heads. With our heads bowed, I'm going to pray for you. But first, I want you to pray yourself. Thank God for his goodness and mercy in your life. Why don't you pray? If you don't know what to pray, I'll lead you in a prayer. It doesn't really matter if you say these words or not. What matters is your heart. But you go, I don't know what to pray. Okay, I'm, I'm going to pray a prayer and... If, I, if it matches your thoughts, you, do, you say, me too, God. Say, uh, dear God, I want to thank you for your goodness and mercy to me. Um, just say that. Thank you, God, for your goodness and mercy to me. Thank you that you give me things I don't deserve. And thank you that you show mercy for the mistakes that I do make. Thank you for your forgiveness. If you've never opened your life to Jesus Christ, say, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but as as much as I know how, I want to open my life to you. I want to start that journey. I want you to be working in my life. I want you to be watching over me. I want you to, to prepare a home in heaven for me. As much as I know how, Jesus, I say yes to you today. if you've already made that decision in your life, this is a good message to remind ourselves of the things that we need to do, that we need to pass these benefits on to others. We need to be agents of goodness and mercy in New York City. We need to be passing it on wherever we go. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for these who've joined together as this part of your family here at Lower Manhattan Community Church. I thank you that you, a thousand years before we were born, you know each of us would be here today for this point and this time. And I'm going to ask that you bless each person that's here. I ask you to bless them physically this week with good health. I ask you to bless them emotionally relieve the depression, relieve the discouragement, relieve the fear, the worry, the bitterness, whatever they're struggling with. I ask you to bless them spiritually with a new sense of closeness to you this week and a new purpose to realize you're always looking out for me and you're always working in me and you always have a home waiting for me. Thank you. I ask you to bless their jobs and their careers. I ask you to Help them to prosper. And I, I pray that those who are out of work, Lord, open. may this be the week that a job opens up. For those who are struggling with uh, unmet needs, who have bills to pay, Lord, bless them financially. Lord, whatever area we need this blessing, for those who are lonely, may they find a home here at, at this church. And may they become a part of our family here that we may support and encourage each other. And I pray these blessings in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you've made some kind of decision today, everybody take out this little card. And Maybe you guys are going to talk about that. Take out this card right now, would you? It's inside there. Notice on the back, it says, I'd like more information on. If you want to be a part of a community group, You could check that if you're like interested in being a part of our church family here. You could check that if you say, you know, I'm I'm checking this out about starting a relationship with God. You could check that Uh, any of these things that we could help you out out with. Or if you have a prayer request, just write a little note on the bottom here. And uh, these will come to Pastor Ryan and we'll help you. It's an honor to be with you. Thank you, everybody. God bless you.